0: Welcome to the Lesbian Review Podcast. I'm Sheena and I'm joined today by author Anne Hagen. So Anne's here to talk about mailing lists. She and I are part of a, a Facebook group called the Lesbian Fiction Alliance or Marketing Alliance or something like that which is a really cool group. I'll add a link to the show notes for those of you interested in joining. And we've actually had a couple of conversations where we spoke about mailing lists and Anne has got some really cool things to say about mailing lists and why it's important for authors. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today and we're going to talk about Anne's books and Anne has something very interesting in the lesbian fiction sector. She does not write romance. So, you know, here's a round of applause. Well,
1: that, that's, that's not me. true, Sheena. I do
0: write romance. You do, but not primarily romance. You focus on mystery. That in itself is huge, because I think we need to be diversifying away from only lesbian romance into things like mystery, where there is potential for crossover into the mainstream audience. Okay, so let's start with mailing lists. Why are they important? How do you build them, and and why
1: should authors have them? Well, we build mailing lists so that we have a group of readers that we can market to directly that is something that we control. You know, it isn't owned by Facebook. It isn't owned by any of these other social media sites. It's not Amazon's list. It's not BookBub's list. It's our list. And that's, that's what's important about it. You have fans that want to hear from you and receive mailings from you and you can reach out and touch them whenever you want to. So
0: you and I are having a conversation, and you say that Twitter and Facebook are not good marketing tools. They are fallbacks, if you like, to for a lot of authors
1: because it's easy to use. True, true. Uh, Twitter and Facebook are social media sites. Um, people go there to socialize, not to be marketed to. For mainstream authors, doing ads on Facebook seems to work pretty well. Um, posting your book multiple times on groups and and on your page and all of that, not so well, even for mainstream authors. For lesbian fiction authors, women-loving fic- women fiction authors, it, it it has very limited appeal. Even in the large Facebook groups that we have... Um, and and then Twitter is a whole different animal. Twitter seems to be populated more by authors than by readers. So you're marketing to each other, you know. Uh, they're they're groups to socialize. They're not they're not places to market your work.
0: I guess when we talk about marketing, you and I perhaps have different views on marketing. So for example, when I talk about marketing on social media, I'm not talking about posting endless things here's my book buy it here's my book buy it because that's hard selling for me what I'm talking about when I say it's important for somebody to be on social media is I think it's important for readers to be able to access you for example in my Facebook group it's a book club so I encourage readers to share books that they love to recommend books that they're busy reading to ask for recommendations of books so What I allow authors to do there is authors to recommend their own books. So if somebody comes on and says, hey, I'm looking for a mystery, then it's a great place for you to come on and say, oh, by the way, I've written this mystery. Check it out. So that is, for me, marketing. It's just not hard selling.
1: Right. I agree with that. I completely agree with that. But you see in a lot of the Facebook reading groups, authors who day after day pound out their ads, oftentimes the same ads for the same books, you know, and And I can give you examples of authors that have done this for several years with the same two or three books.
0: Well, it's absolutely true. And people just stop engaging. Social media is about conversing and creating a conversation and creating a space where readers can talk to you. Readers love accessing authors. I don't think authors realize this. Readers want to ask you questions. They want to engage with you. They want to find out Why? You wrote this book because this book touched them so deeply. So what motivated you to create this incredible character? That's what social media is about.
1: Exactly. I agree. Okay.
0: So then where do newsletters fall into this whole marketing sales kind of spectrum?
1: Well, newsletters are something where you can create a fan base that learns even more about you, learns when you have a new release, when you've got something on sale, but even more importantly, who else you know? One of the the biggest things that I use my own letter for is to introduce my author friends and the things that they're doing. And that not only helps them, it helps me. Because it's not always all about me. Readers of, of women loving women fiction are... A group that likes to know everybody. <laughs> they they find one author and then they want to find another author that's just like that author. And we're a pretty tight knit community. We really are, and um, we help each other, and we help ourselves when we help each other.
0: So it's I mean it's absolutely true, and I actually don't see this in mainstream to speak of where. I see it in sort of smaller niches, particularly around non-fiction. But I don't really see it in the fiction sector in, in the mainstream. But in Les we are. We're doing exactly that. Authors are promoting each other. There's much more kind of a sense of a community. Publishers are talking about each other's books, not just like... It's less of, of a competition thing and more of a community thing, which I find fantastic about the industry. I actually have subscribed relatively recently to your newsletter because I wanted to see you were talking about you set up like a sequence of a certain number of emails when somebody just just subscribes to you and you actually inspired me to do the same thing with my newsletter because I hadn't done it up until now. So let's talk about sequences
1: and why it's important. One of the things I learned to do and and, and I learned to do this by by trial and error was to send an immediate email with an autoresponder, that's what those are called, to a new subscriber to say, hey, welcome to my newsletter. Uh, here's a little bit about me. Here's a free book that you can get from me and how to get that book. And that, that just kind of introduces them. And then once a week after that, for a few more weeks, they get another newsletter that that gets a little bit more in-depth with them. The second second one tells them a little bit more about me and how I got into writing and that sort of thing. The third one actually asks them to volunteer, to be on my ARC team, to be on my street team, when I need them to be a beta reader. I have plenty of beta readers right now, but but that sort of thing. And then the last one in in that series is more of an upsell pitch kind of thing. Hey, you know... You've read these free books, here's the next book, or here's some other stuff that I've written, and that sort of thing. So they get they get four emails spaced out a little bit up front, and then they also go into the pot of emails that I send to all subscribers, or if they've agreed to be an ARC reader, then they start getting those emails when I produce something new that says, Hey, I've got this book out. Here's where you can go and download it. If you'd like to read it and review it, I'd appreciate it. That sort of thing. So, you know, they I I take their activity level on those initial four emails and I put them into different pots, so to speak. You know, these are people that like mysteries. People write back, they answer back to those emails. And they tell me what they like. Because in one of them, I actually ask them, what do you like to read? That sort of thing. So it it helps me get to know them and it helps them get to know me.
0: So one of the things you recommend is offering something free in every newsletter. That's a lot of free stuff if you're doing a weekly newsletter.
1: Well, it doesn't always have to be your stuff. That's the thing. If you work with other authors, you can offer their stuff. Um, I'm I'm tied in with, with... some other websites and and that sort of thing where they have a page that offers free books. Some of them are free for an email sign-up. So, you know, it's up to the reader's decision if they want to go out and sign up for someone else's email, but then there's free books that way. There's always ways to offer something that's free.
0: Why would you want to do this, though? Don't you create a culture then of people expecting free stuff versus buying your stuff?
1: had that problem quite honestly people ask me that all the time but i've offered free stuff and i've had people say you know i got your first book free on amazon i came here to your newsletter and you offered me the second book free for joining and i went out and bought all the rest you know i i've not had that issue it, it seems to to feed their interest in in reading more of, of what i have
0: fair enough you also say always have pictures of yourself. Why on earth would I
1: want to do that? that that's something I got from a class I took from a very well-known lesbic author. <laughs> she says that it personalizes the email. It lets people connect a face with what they're reading. Lets them get to know you. I, I don't follow her rule, you <laughs> know? I do try to do that, but my picture is plastered on, on my website, on all my social media and all that anyway. But there are a lot of authors out there that you'd never see a picture of them. And people do wonder who they're dealing with. You know, they use their book covers everywhere that, that a picture of them should be, so
0: I agree that like on social media and your websites, but I don't know if I necessarily want to see an author staring at me while I'm reading their newsletter.
1: Well, think about the mainstream, though. Every mainstream author has their picture on their book cover. You know, I think I think J.K. Rowling was the only one that got away with, with not putting it there at first. Absolutely.
0: On the book cover, i right there. Because you want to see the person whose work you're reading. I, I totally get it. But the newsletter for me feels odd. Because, I don't know, maybe it's just because I just don't expect it. So then there's this person looking at me.
1: Well, I have mine on that that initial series of four, but my ones that come out periodically after that, not so much, because that's more about the books and, and my other author friends, so it might have their picture in it, but not mine.
0: I can see what you do there. Okay, so frequency. Let's talk about frequency. How often should someone send out a newsletter? You need to be
1: consistent with it at least once a month is best if you can do it more often i wouldn't do it more than maybe three times a month once a week at the most if you get into to more than once a week you're going to inundate your readers with more stuff than they want to read and you're going to start to see I mean, we all have people that sign up for our list get the free book and then drop off that's going to happen You'll have other people that even if you send them once a quarter are going to get tired of seeing emails from you and they're going to go away, you know, but you don't want to overwhelm your big fans with constant emails. So, you know, once a week at most, I tend to send something out maybe a couple times a month and that seems to work fine for me.
0: Do you pre-schedule them? So you go, okay, this month I'm going to send that too, so I'm going to schedule one for... This week and when for
1: two weeks time um, quite frankly i I you know work out of that the that Pick marketing alliance a lot with you know between between what I've got scheduled to release or what I've got scheduled to go on sale and what other authors you know are doing, if they've got new releases, if they've got sales coming up, that sort of thing, something they're promoting then, you know, I schedule them based around my schedule and what everybody else is doing so that I can incorporate as much of that as reasonably as possible. Obviously, I'm not writing 30-page newsletters, but... Do you have a day of the week that you prefer sending? I prefer to send mine on Wednesdays. That's just what works best for me, being in the Eastern Time Zone in the U.S., uh, a release about one o'clock on Wednesday seems to do the best for me. Um, most mailing programs will tell you what would be the best time for you based on when your list as as you develop a list of readers most is most likely to open those emails so hmm. i I set huh. the last one on a Friday just because that's what it worked out for. The The people that, that I was working with who wanted things that were in my newsletter, my open rate wasn't as high as it normally is. It still did well compared to industry standards, but Friday's not a good day really for anybody to send out a newsletter, especially in the summertime.
0: Friday is horrible because everybody sends newsletters on Friday. My inbox is inundated with Friday newsletters. So I would not recommend Friday. Wednesday seems good. Because nobody would think of it. Or Saturday. Nobody sends emails on Saturday. Send it on Saturday.
1: <laughs> well, nobody's around to read emails on Saturday either, though, Sheena. So.
0: Oh, well, that is a fair point. That is a fair point. <laughs> so let's talk about your novels. Oh, well, is there anything else you want to talk about newsletter-wise? Uh,
1: no, no. I think we've, we've covered most of the, 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 the why. The How's a whole different show.
0: (laughs) Yes, your guide is actually very useful. It's got like a step-by-step system and everything in there, and there'll be a link to download it in the show notes for those who are interested. All right, so let's talk about your books. How long have you been writing
1: and publishing? I've been writing for probably 40 years. (laughs) Publishing only for the last four or five (laughs)
0: So you've been writing since you were like two.
1: (laughs) I'll be 52 this year.
0: (laughs) So what made you go from not publishing to publishing? How did that happen?
1: I discovered Ellen Hart's Jane Lawless series of books. You know, I, I, I started reading lesbian fiction the way we all do, reading fan fiction. You know, but I'd always read things like Sue Grafton's novels and Janet Ivanovich's novels and and so many other mystery authors. And it didn't occur to me that, that, hey, I could write this stuff until I'd read Ellen Hart's books. And I saw the Jay Lawless character and I thought, well, here's a lesbian character. In the kind of books that I love, I mean, Jane could be Kinsey Milhone and Sue Grafton's books as easily as, as vice versa, except that she was lesbian. Ellen, though, keeps her very clean, let's say. Um, you know, her books cross into the mainstream. You know, they, they, there's, there's nothing about them that would be offensive to a mainstream reader. And I thought, we could take that a little bit deeper, you know, give her real relationships and that sort of thing. And so I just sat down one day and said, I'm going to do this. I'm I'm going to write one of these books.
0: High five. <laughs> That's fantastic. And how is it being received?
1: I, it, it's done well. I was more surprised than anybody when I released the first book in my primary series, which is the Burrell Bell Mysteries. Um, Relic is the first book in the series. Overnight, I started to see sales. And I, I knew nothing about marketing at the time. Nothing. You know, I had a Facebook page that was under my real name. You know, I had no author page. No, I, I actually write under a a pseudonym only because my real name, there are so many people that have my actual name <laughs> I wouldn't have been able to differentiate myself from the crowd. So I actually write under my my middle name and the modification of my last name. I, I just didn't tell anybody I'd released it. I just My wife didn't even know I'd released it. She knew I was working on one. And, you know, started getting sales right away, and it was very exciting. You know, and... Then people started demanding for the relationship to go deeper between the two primary characters in the first book and demanding to know when the second book was coming out. And I'd never even thought about a second book. You know? I was like, what? Second book? No! <laughs> it, <was> a, <laughs> it took a while to write that second book. But then, you know, after that, the, the, you know, the muse was there and, and it just took off. You know, and that series is 10 books in now, and I'm almost to number 11.
0: That's crazy. That's amazing. So how many are you publishing a year?
1: Uh, this year, I've only done one in a short story so far, and I've, I've just recently finished a book that's going to be in a special comp- compilation to be released later this year. I'm working on releasing the 11th in that series, And number 10 came out in February, so I'm looking at a September release for number 11. But, uh, you know, in a given year, I might publish four books, but not all in that series, so. Mm. So that's your biggest series? Yes, it is.
0: What else have you got?
1: I I have these two lesbian protagonists in that primary series, the Morelville Mysteries well of course they have moms and, and it, when I wrote the mom characters one is actually based on my nearly departed grandmother uh, who was this crazy Italian woman that you know she just, she just ruled the roost and you know there was no stopping her and the other one is very loosely based on shh, my spouse's mother <laughs> very loosely <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, you know, they were just begging for their own series. So I spun that off into a Cozy Mystery series. And I have a couple of books in okay. that, and I'm working on a third. And I've only been releasing those about one a year. It's a, it's a harder medium for me because the primary series is based on a police officer and how a police officer would handle a mystery case. And in Cozy's you can't use law enforcement officers. They have to be amateurs. And so I've got to make it plausible for these two moms to go around solving crimes.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. And then I, I've
1: got some romances that I've written that have, for the most part, spun off from other characters in the main mystery series.
0: Nice. So you're creating like a whole little university.
1: Yes. Fantastic. So what's your other series called? The Morelville Cozies is the Cozy series, and then the, the romances are all standalone.
0: So if somebody wanted to start reading your books, where would they
1: start? With the with the Les Fix series, they would start with Relic, which is the first book in the series. It introduces the two primary characters. Every mystery in the series stands alone. If you were just reading them for the mystery aspect, you know, you could pick them up anywhere. But, of course, these books are about friends and family and relationships between all of these people and all that. So if you start at 1 and go to 10, you get all of that background. I've had people that have picked them up in the middle just simply to do a review for me, and they didn't get all the references to family wait a minute, I read book two, and this person wasn't married in book two, and now in book six they are, and, you know. Are any of these crossing over to mainstream? I have picked up some mainstream readers. Since Relic is free everywhere that you can get an ebook. there are a lot of people that pick it up. Some people go on to read more of it, uh, you know. My mother loves them. I have an old, old aunt that loves them, has read the whole series. And and, and as we get deeper into the books, the first couple books don't contain any sex scenes. Uh, it's, it's alluded to in the first book. It's worded in the second book. <laughs> yeah. But after that, they do get into sex scenes where it fits. Um, you know, they're mysteries. So obviously, you know, the mystery comes first. But... Uh, they read this stuff, and I, I ask, you know, do you read that part of it? Well, no, I just skip over those scenes is what I get. Um, I get mainstream readers that, that uh, seem to like them. Uh, some of them tell me the same thing. They skip over those scenes, or they don't care for those scenes, but they like the characters. You know, I have other mainstream readers that have picked them up, and then once they got to the sex books, they stopped reading, you know, so... It just depends on how open-minded they are, I guess. <laughs> I want heterosexual people to
0: have the experience that we have. We <laughs> I know, have right? To read the heterosexual sex in everything, like uh, anyway, that's just my. It's it's wonderful. It's what lesbian sex is wonderful. I don't know what everybody's problem is.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it, it seems like a lot of my mainstream readers are male. You know, so take that for, you know, I've never, never surveyed them to find out exactly why they're reading. You know, if it's about the mystery or if it's about the lesbian aspect, I don't know.
0: It's funny, you know, I think there are a lot of heterosexual men who just like the fact that women together are more tender than a heterosexual couple in a book. And there's more like, i will thing our our literature tends to explore the emotions and the the characters on a different kind of a level to when there's a heterosexual couple so i don't think it's necessarily as dirty as all that but having said that we're lesbians we're we're dirty beasts let's just say that (laughs) readers tell me that unless lesbian fiction has sex in it they don't want to read it so and that's woman you know
1: and I've heard that too. I was really taken to task by like, for having a a fade to black sex scene in relic by by some lesbian readers that it, it it's not lesbian unless it has sex in it. Well I tend to disagree, it's a mystery and the mystery comes first. You know. I agree but, with that. So I've I've managed to make it fit into some of the other books because I had this developing relationship between these two characters. But it just doesn't fit in every book. I can't say, oh, stop, I gotta put a sex scene here. That makes no sense. In, in mystery, you just can't do that. So some of them have it, some of them don't.
0: And that's fine. I think that in a in a mystery, it's a mystery. You know. And thank you so much for joining me today. Where can people find you
1: online? com is my website. I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Pinterest. What do you do on Pinterest? I, I actually started on Pinterest quite early on uh, because uh, at one point in time, my wife and I ran a commercial haunted house attraction, and um, we were looking for haunted house ideas, and Pinterest is a great place to look for ideas for, you know, haunted things, let's <laughs> say uh and it it just it just caught fire from there, so I have all sorts of boards on there, some of them have to do with writing, some of them have to do with my books, some of them have nothing whatsoever to do with those things. I still have the the boards for haunted things, and I have boards for Christmas things and all that sort of thing. I enjoy it, but I try not to spend too t- too much time there because it's it's like Facebook it's a time suck <laughs>
0: it's true. You've been listening to the Lesbian Review Podcast. I'm Sheena and I've been joined today by Anne Hagen. If you enjoyed this podcast, then come talk to us on the Lesbian Talk Show chat group. That's on Facebook. Or you can email us on podcast at thelesbiantalkshow.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Lesbian Talk Show. You can also join our community of patrons and get exclusive content. Go to patreon.com slash thelesbiantalkshow. And one of the exclusive podcasts that you will be getting is a 5 questions in five minutes interview with Anne which I'm about to do. It's very exciting. That's all for this week Bye!
1: Bye!